Today we're going in our Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, if you would please. 1 Samuel chapter number 5. While you're turning there, I want to make one quick announcement. Coming up next month on the 13th and the 14th is our national men's conference in Maryville, Tennessee. Um, I don't know if any of you would be interested in going. Um, the deadline for the registration is coming up. It saves you $10 if you pre-register. But if that is something that you would be interested in doing and being a part of, we need to get uh, a decent idea. So this week we're going to uh, give you a few days to see uh, what your schedule looks like. And if you want to be a part of that, certainly uh, we want you to do that. Now, I was told that at National Men's Conference, they're giving away man cards. That's what they said. And I, I told them, I said, I don't have to go to the conference to get my man card. I kept it. I've kept my man card. But if you need a man card, apparently they're handing them out. That's what they were, they were announcing. And uh, so I, I don't know about that. But uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, what we want to do is to strengthen the hands of the men in this church and put every resource available in your hands. And so uh, if you are interested in going, uh, if you will see Brother Jordan Fry uh, between now and Wednesday night during revival, if you will see him and let him know, we'll try to compile a list together of men who want to go. And then we will determine lodging and transportation according to that. There's, uh, if there's enough of us together, then we will certainly uh, make it to where we don't have to drive separately and we'll save a little bit of gas money and make that happen. It's my understanding that they are anticipating somewhere in the neighborhood of about a thousand men to be there. And so we are looking forward to that and just believe in God for great mighty things. If you have ever been with our men on a men's trip, you know that it does not lack entertainment. We always have a good time. I could, I could tell some stories today, but I think for the sake of revival, I'll keep those to myself. Uh, but we have had a great, great, great time. So if you're interested in National Ministry Conference, please see Brother Jordan Fry, and we will try to get you on a list, and then we'll get information to you as to what uh, we need to do for transportation. Let the church say amen. I want to say how good it is to be back in the house of the Lord this morning. So very thankful for this church family, for your prayers and support. Uh, this has been one of the most chaotic summers that I remember ever having. And for us to be able to keep spiritual momentum has just been incredible. I was seeking the Lord about that this week. And the only thing that I kept hearing from the Lord was that this church, through ministries of this church in different different ways through the leadership of your pastor and different things that we have invested in other vineyards this entire summer and that God was going to bless this field for our investment in others and so I'm holding fast to that today believing God for that I believe that with all my heart if you believe that God has his hand on this church would you shout amen first Samuel chapter 5 if you're there, say amen. If you're not, I don't have any more announcements to make. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon. And they set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod, they of the city of Ashdod, arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. Somebody say again. And when they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. No, I didn't just read the same verse again. The same thing happened a second time. 
But this time, the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold and only the stump or the body of Dagon was left. Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod until this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with emrods, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. And when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said... The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us. And upon Dagon, our God. So they sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered and said, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried about unto Gath. So they moved the ark of the God of Israel about thither. And it was so after they carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against that city. So the Lord was now against Gath. And then Gath was not happy. They were smitten. And so they said, well, let's take the ark of God and move it to Ekron. And so they moved the ark to Ekron, and guess what happened? The hand of God was against them. I'm going to preach to you something that has been stirring in my spirit, and I believe that I've heard from the Lord for this Sunday morning. I want to preach to you today from this thought, and I want this title to sink very deeply into your soul, mind, body, and spirit right now. Putting pieces back together that were meant to fall apart. Putting pieces back together that were meant to fall apart. Let us pray. Father, I believe that your anointing is in this house. I believe that the unction of your spirit is resting on this body right now. And I'm asking you, Lord, that you would speak to us. That you would challenge us by the power of the Holy Ghost and by the power of the name of Jesus. Speak to every heart, every life. I pray today, God, for the sinner, the saint, the backslider, the cold, the indifferent. I pray that your word would draw men by your spirit to the altar today. Let your word go forth with great clarity. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. You may be seated. Putting pieces back together that were meant to fall apart. I remember a little later in my childhood, there was a game that became famous, and it may have been around all of my life. The simplicity of the game probably goes way, way back. But the, the trademarked, copyrighted name of the game is Jenga. Jenga is basically a large block of wood that has been cut up into a lot of even pieces. You stand that up with everything put together and on the table uh, you begin to pull out one small piece of wood at a time until finally whoever pulls the piece out that causes the tower to tumble loses. And so then... They're out and you advance to the next round until the last man standing. Anybody here ever seen Jenga? This is not a Parker Brothers promotional. I am not endorsed by Parker Brothers. I relinquish all income that would happen to happen because of this announcement today for Parker Brothers or whoever it is that makes Jenga. I don't know. This is not a commercial. Jenga is a frustrating game because just about the time you think you've got a grip On the next piece to come out of the puzzle, you realize the instability that happens and you become the victim of a falling tower. Until I began to get my mind around the process of this game, I realized this game was never meant to stay together. 
It was a game that the creator had the intention. At some point, it will fall apart. The purpose of the inventor of this game was that somebody will pull just the right or the wrong piece, however you look at it, at just the right or the wrong time, and the entire thing will fall apart. And so you advance to the next round and you take that game which has fallen apart and you put it back into the mold and you set it up on the table and you rebuild the pieces and you play another round. And somebody begins to take the next piece but you can't take it off the top. You have to set it on the top. And the cycle begins and you put together a game that is meant to fall apart. And finally, at the end of the game, there is one person that's left standing. And that simply means that you were able to get by with something that the last man could not get by with. Their intention was for the tower to remain standing. And hoping that it would not fall under their care. But they were the one that took the last piece. That caused the tower to come crumbling down. There is a spirit that gets hold of humanity that I'm not sure we will ever learn from in history. It is a spirit that says it will never happen to me. I will never be the one that the tower comes crumbling down on. I will not be the one that loses my marriage over this. I will not be the one that catches the sexually transmitted disease in fornication. I will not be the one that loses my children to this world even though I've taught them how to love this worldly system. I will not be the one that loses my ministry because God's hand is on me and I am special to the Lord. I want to tell you today that I've seen many mighty trees that have fallen to the ground in this walk of life because they were overly confident that they were spiritual enough that an attack from the enemy would not sink their vessel but I'm declaring to you that one of the most spiritual men that have ever put pen to paper and recorded was a converted man by the name of Saul who became Paul after his conversion and it was very apparent that God had done a work in the life of Paul but Paul put the pen to paper and he said this statement let him who thinks he standeth take heed lest he should fall there's not one of us in this house today that's spiritual enough that if we allow the hand of the enemy to work on us and we give him enough foothold we are not exempt from destruction can I preach to you for a while None of us are exempt from the tragedy created by sin. In preparing for this morning's sermon, I spent quite a bit of time this week in the book of 1 Samuel reading about a very familiar story. This is what led up to the Ark of the Covenant being taken. In that Eli was the the priest and he had two sons named Hophni and Phinehas, you read the story perhaps, and if you haven't, I'll give you a brief background about it. These two boys were supposed to be in the priesthood. Their father was a priest, but the Bible said that he became very greedy in his spirit. And he got to the place where it didn't matter what Hophni and Phinehas did, his sons. They had access to sacred vessels and to the holy things of God. And they began to do very vile, vile things. The Bible said that they were... Uh, committing fornication literally in the house of God in the temple with women that would come to worship the Lord. It almost insinuates that they were raping the women of Israel that were trying to come and bring sacrifice to the Lord. These were young men that knew better. They were raised in the house of the priesthood. They absolutely knew better, but they tried in some way to pervert the sacred things of God, yet still believe that they had every right to offer sacrifice unto the Lord. There is a transition 
that happens in the mind of a person at some point in their journey that they feel as though they are untouchable. They feel as though it doesn't matter what they do. They can get by with it. But I feel like reminding you this morning that God is a very good record keeper. God knows exactly what he's doing. Now, Hophni and Phinehas, let me hurry through this. They were committing fornication in the house of God. And so the Lord speaks to Eli and says to him, I am going to destroy Hophni and Phinehas. And he prophesies to him. He says that your two sons will die on the very same day. Think about it. And so war comes. And the children of Israel are moved into war. And there are over 30,000 men that die in that war. Now this is what the Lord spoke to me. Through the power of his scripture. If Hophni and Phinehas were the ones guilty of sin, why was there so much collateral damage in the kingdom? Why did 30,000 men die because two men had committed fornications in the house of God? It's because you don't realize how much power you have in the decision-making processes of your life. You do not realize how many people are watching you. You don't realize how many people are viewing the steps that you take. But understand me when I tell you today, it is impossible to fall down in the kingdom of God and not affect those that are around you. And the principle that's underlying in this story is that whenever people become selfish in their sinful nature, the kingdom of God always takes a hit. You may not realize your importance to God and to the kingdom of God, but here's a truth that you need to know. As insignificant as you may feel and the enemy has made you feel, the fact is you are valuable to the kingdom of God. You are needed in the kingdom of God. You are needed in this local church. You are valued by the hand of God. Don't you think for one moment that the enemy would not love to destroy your ministry and the value that you bring to the table of the kingdom of God I've seen men say you know what I want my kids to go on and be a part of the kingdom of God but I'm not going to I'm going to stay home it doesn't always work that way one of two things are going to happen your kids are going to follow suit or God's going to give you really 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 good kids and they're going to stay in the race But they're not going to do it without questions. And someday you're going to have to give answers. Whether you give answers here or you give answers when you stand before God. But at some point, you're going to give answers as to why you could not be a faithful steward over what God put in your life. I want to tell you something, church family. It keeps me humble before God. But I cannot tell you how many times and how many late nights I have walked through my house, even early in the morning, walked through my house with tears dripping down off my chin, walking into the bedroom of my children, putting my hand on them while they sleep, and saying, God, don't ever let me do anything that would give my children a good excuse to be lost. Don't ever let me do anything that would put a mark on your kingdom. Don't let me be so selfish that I've got to please me and my children are lost because of it. Someone was asking me the other day about the weights of ministry. We were talking about pastoring and How heavy ministry can get at times and the overwhelming weight mentally especially there is a immense emotional and mental pressure that comes anytime you do anything in the ministry. And I told them, I said, there is a heavy weight that you carry as a pastor and the the gravity, the weight of standing behind the pulpit and preaching the eternal word of God. And if you don't feel that weight, you probably shouldn't be preaching. I said, but the greatest weight that I feel as a man does not just come from the pulpit I feel, but from the house that I live in. If I can preach to you and convince you that I'm spiritual, 
but my kids see a different man on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday than you see in this pulpit. I want to tell you, I'm not a good preacher. I'm a loser. I'm not a good preacher because I can fill pulpits and preach to thousands in conferences and camp meetings. That doesn't make me a good man. It makes me an orator. What makes me a good man is when I can live in my life what I'm preaching behind this pulpit. I am not exempt from the powers of darkness trying to destroy my life. Listen, don't just do it today because pastor preaches it. Realize there are some eyes that are on you, some children that are watching your move. They want to know why Hophni and Phineas can get away with it, but they can't. One of the worst tricks the enemy has ever played on kingdom thinking is do as I say, not as I do. I'm going to get really strong here for just a moment, but I want to tell you You can confess with your mouth that you believe this holy book. But God doesn't care how good you can talk it. He wants to know how well you walk it. Well, I can't say I disagree with what pastor's preaching because I've seen it in the book. But God wants me to be happy. God wants you to be saved. Calvary was not for me to be happy. Calvary was for me to not be lost. And I feel today that somebody has got to get back under the eternal weight of the word of God and realize it is not there for our enjoyment. It's not just there for us to be all all, all giddy and feel goosebumps running up and down our spine. Listen, this is not about how good somebody preaches it. If Whether I know how to preach it or I don't know how to preach it, it's still right and it's still settled. When I was a boy, I used to hear people say all the time that the word of God is settled in heaven and in earth. That's not in the book. It says, thy word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven. And there's a reason for that. We can't get it settled down here. About the time we think we've got it settled, we get that happy doctrine going. Well, I believe that's right, brother. I believe that's what the Word says. Until something happens to one of our children that's contradictory to that, and we've got to stand on the Word. But I'm going to tell you this morning, I've got to stand on the Word whether you're with me or you're not with me. I've got to stand on the Word if my wife is with me or my wife is against me. Where's my revival, people? You were feeling it ten minutes ago. The Bible is not just fundamentally secure. The Bible is not just fundamentally correct. The Bible is settled. It's not like, I think this is so hilarious. It's not like you can hold a spiritual convocation And bring together the board of directors for your organization. Change your constitution. And then still be a religious institution. It recently came up on the floor of a religious uh, denomination. As to whether or not they could allow fully openly homosexuals to be ordained in their movement. And my thought was not one of judgment. But simply a question that I wanted to know. What difference does it make if the entire body ratifies it by two-thirds or by a simple majority or by a unanimous vote? Well, the problem, the problem is our politics in America. No, it's not. I don't care what they put through. I don't care what they try to send to the Supreme Court. It does not change the word of God because of what they vote yes or no to. Now, I realize what I'm risking right here, okay, because we're streaming, but I'm going to tell you something. I believe in the laws of the land. We're going to take care of it. I thank God for this nation that I live in. But some people have asked me recently, they said, Pastor, what are you going to do if they outlaw this, this, and this you've been preaching against? 
I don't have an option. It's not like I'm an American first and a child of God second. I am a child of God that happens to be a United States citizen. But I'm going to do the same thing that our missionaries are doing today in lands that they don't want conversion. I'm going to keep on converting and keep on preaching and keep on believing. Brother Snow said, I want you to come be with us. And then he started telling me about a state real close to them, which I, I, could, I could tell you something. We'll talk about it when I'm not on camera. But we started talking about, Sister Lang, you'll be aware of, of, of the state probably when I mention this. There was a missionary that came in and was converting people to Christianity. And so these people of a different faith besides Christianity, and you can put pieces together. They took that man's family and shut them up in a vehicle and propped up things on the door where they could not get out and threw torches in and set the car on fire. And his entire family, they had to watch as the man and his children burned up in the car. So what are you going to do when they say it's illegal for you to worship? What then? Pastor, this is the land of the free and the home of the brave. Everybody celebrates liberty and freedom in their own way. So just because society says it's okay, are we going to start believing that it's okay and teaching that it's okay and preaching that it's okay? Are we going to give in and acquiesce to the idea that every wind of doctrine, every wind of idea that blows through this nation is right because God is American? You know what? We got a lot of Jesus lovers in America. It's hard to save people because you got to unsave them first. But I'm going to tell you something that a lot of folks don't think about that's all wrapped up in politics. If Jesus was running for president, most Christians wouldn't even elect him. They wouldn't like the platform he stands on. Because he'd actually look him in the eye and say, you are wrong, sir. Well, then you tell me what party you think he'd run on. Well, I can tell you right now, it wouldn't be the ones we got. Let's just say that he's independent. There's a lot of ways you can look at his independence. Independent can also mean all by himself. And that's exactly what he is. He does not run on my agenda. He does not run on your agenda. But my question today is this. We talk about all the time what kind of revival we would have in the face of adversity. But what about the revival that we're not having in the United States right now in full freedom? Well, if they took that freedom away, I'd still share the gospel. But we've got to share the gospel while it's legal. Well, I'll tell you right now, if they put a gun to my head and tell me I can't believe in Jesus, I'd stand for him. That's not true if you won't even show up on Sunday morning. Don't tell me you'll die for something that you won't live for right now. We've got to get something in our spirit that says I'm not concerned with who approves of it. I've got to love God. So, the principle was this. Two carnal rascals caused collateral damage to the entire kingdom and left vulnerable the most sacred things of God. You ever wondered how the beginning of this story, how the Philistines just came in and got the Ark of the Covenant? Here's the sad part of the story. They didn't even go get the Ark of the Covenant. The children of Israel brought it to Shiloh. They were being destroyed by the Philistines because they were carnal. And they said, well, I guess the reason we're getting destroyed is because we don't have the ark with us.
So they went and got the ark and brought it out of a sacred place and brought it to the battlefield. Some of you are trying to bring the glory of God to battlefields it doesn't belong on. Some of you are fighting battles and blaming it on God that's not a godly battle. They drugged the sacred and holy things of God and brought it out on a battlefield and said, well, I guess it'll work. Now listen, you can't take the glory of a Sunday night service into a bar room on Tuesday night and expect to win the battle. You've got to make up in your mind before the Philistines ever come. We're going to be a holy people. We're going to be a godly people. We're going to live for the Lord. So they weren't being destroyed because they didn't have the ark. They were being destroyed because they were carnal. Brother Stephen, that was so powerful this morning. They were walking in a place that the devourer had access. That's why they were being destroyed. It does not matter that they go grab the glory of God and bring it into the battle. That doesn't help in carnal situations. You want me to give you a modern interpretation of that? You can be carnal all week and come here on Sunday and dance and shout and kick and huck a buck. It does no good. Worldly people speak in tongues. Uh Uh-oh. Is this too tough on Sunday morning? Something's got to shift. They left the Ark of the Covenant vulnerable because Philistines came in and said, we're just going to wear them out and drop 30,000 of them to the ground and walked right up to the glory of God and said, well, I guess since they don't care about it, we'll take it with us. And they take it to Ashdod where the temple of their God is. And they took the holy ark of God and placed it in Ashdod in the temple of Dagon. And they set that holy ark of the covenant in the temple next to Dagon. And the Bible said that the next morning when they came in, Dagon was flat on his face. And so they said, well, I guess it was just an earthquake. Something happened in the darkness of the night. What a shame. And they pick him up and they put Dagon right back up on the pedestal. The next morning they came in and Dagon was flat on his face again. But this time his head was broken off and his hands were broken off. That represents his headship, his authority, and his ability to touch. God said, I'm going to show you. That where my presence is, there is no other power that has the ability to know and to touch like me. And so they picked up a broken God, put him back together, and sat him up on a statue place to stand. God was ripping me last night. And he said, I want you to pose the question tomorrow. How many pieces are people putting gods back together in their lives that were meant to fall apart? How many people in the house tomorrow have been trying to pray it off of their kids, but I've let it happen because if their world don't fall apart, They'll never come home. I'm telling you, that's good preaching right there. How many people are trying to pray things off of your life? God, get me out of this storm. You hadn't called on God before this storm for months. Now you're in the middle of the storm and you need him bad. He's saying, why in the world would I put the pieces back together when I created this thing to let it fall apart? I appreciate that one hand clap on the front row Pastor we thought this was revival It is 
God is fixing to pull some things together because some of you have been fighting the will of God and you've been trying to put things back together that it was the intention of the Holy Spirit working in your life for that to completely fall apart. God, why in the world would you let me lose that job? Because you'd be lost if you keep that job. Why would you let this relationship fall apart, God? Why in the world would you put strife between me and that woman that I wanted to marry? You don't understand what God is saving you from right now. If you marry that woman, you'll be lost. Well, we don't agree on every level of doctrine, Pastor, but I do think she has a good heart. I don't believe in the flirt to convert program. If she's a hoochie before the marriage license, she'll be a hoochie after you sign it. Oh, my Lord, did Pastor just say hoochie? I did. And I'm going to tell you the rest of that story. If he's a lazy bum before you marry him and he's not faithful to you before you marry him, don't think he'll be faithful to you after you marry him. It's not going to be your sweet loving and your home cooking that's going to make him a good man. What's going to make him a good man is when he stops putting things back together that God said, I want it to fall apart. Well, what God was just trying to do, Pastor, is just exercise his power and show Dagon, you got no power in here. Dagon was a statue, folks. God wasn't teaching Dagon a lesson. He was teaching the Philistines a lesson. He was saying what you've been trying until this point has not worked. Why don't you try me? If you want to touch, Dagon can't touch you. If you need wisdom, he has none. But the authority that's in this room right now, there has never been authority like this in the temple of Dagon. You can convert from this. Don't put it back together. It was meant to fall apart. God's been dealing with me. Son, what are you trying to put back together? That I've been trying to make fall apart. You know what's sad to me? Is that through all of this, they had a greater perspective of a broken, dumb God. I'm not saying that in an ugly way. We tell our kids don't call each other dumb. I'm saying it in a literal. He was a broken and dumb God. They had never done anything, could not speak, could not heal, could not deliver, could not set free. And they would rather set something broken, dumb. It's a boy, isn't that beautiful? So here's what they did. They got together and they said, well, apparently God is against us. Think about this, church family. Think about this. All hell's breaking loose in my life, so I guess God's against me. So what they did, listen to me, what they did was got rid of God so that they could get rid of their sickness. I don't have have the time, nor do I have the courage to preach to you about the sickness that came to them. It's one of the most disgusting and gruesome things. If you study the history and the background of this, it's absolutely terrible. It was very, very similar to the bubonic plague. There were literally people waking up in the mornings with their, their, their guts and their inner parts hanging out on the ground. Listen. So in the midst of their pain, they said, God is against us, so get God out of here. Take God and move his presence to Gath. We would rather put a fake, phony, false, broken, dumb God back on a pedestal and get rid of God than we would to just admit he is God. Church, hear me. What the Philistines didn't understand is the only one in the whole picture that could bring them relief is the one that they were kicking out of Dodge. I know I'm preaching right now. 
Because I feel that resistant spirit, not of humanity. I don't feel a resistance from you people. I feel a resistance from the spirit that's trying to keep you from getting what I'm preaching to you right now. Because some of you are trying to put things back together that the Holy Ghost sent me on this Sunday morning, this first service of revival to tell you, leave it alone and let it stay there. Because what's sitting next to you in the house of God this morning, the presence of God is really what you're looking for. The answer is not to kick God out. God was saying this to them. If you're going to bring my glory in here, Dagon has to go. I know you don't believe me when I tell you this because God's not judgmental. But he does not share his glory. Some of us are still trying to figure out how to coexist with fornication. Some of us are still trying to figure out how to coexist with that spirit of perversion and homosexuality and adultery. Some of us are still trying to figure out how to coexist with perversion and pornography. And then come to the house of God and try to cast out devils. Write this down in your journal. You can't cast out what you embrace. You can't, you can't cast out what you embrace. You, you absolutely cannot come to the house of God and take dominion and authority over things that you love in secret. I saw a picture in the Holy Ghost. I know some of you think I'm coming down hard this morning. You don't understand what kind of a mission I'm on. My wife can tell you I've been a wreck. I have felt the weight of this meeting and what God's about to do in this church. There's no other pulpit in this world that's more important to me than what God's doing here right now this week in this church. I came into the house of the Lord yesterday, walked into this sanctuary, stuck my head underneath the pew and began to seek God. And I began to see people in this church that I love so very much and thank God that I'm a part of your life. But I began to see you in the spirit as you began to pick up broken pieces of things that are laying around your feet in your life. And I saw some of you have that Holy Ghost super glue out, trying to take the work of the spirit and put it back together. You're saying, God, please help me put this back together. God, please help me put this back. Lord, help me focus. Help me, God. Help me bring this back together. And I saw you trying to build that and put the pedal. It was broken, fractured in a hundred pieces. And every time it would fall, it'd break into more and more and more pieces. And now you're putting small little puzzle pieces together that will never look right. You know, you can still cherish that china cup after you've broken it once and super glued it, but it will never be the same after it was broken. And you can try to make it a work of the Spirit to try to rebuild that, but you're putting together broken pieces that were meant to fall apart and until you finally give in to the will of God for your life and say I'm tired of trying to fight you on this I'm tired of trying to talk you out of this I'm trying to tell you it's irrelevant to me God you've got to give in to God eventually and say either it's right or it's wrong I can't stay here and talk about this my Lord you could preach this for a month How many things you've tried to talk yourself out of. And so you go around asking other people's opinions when you know what's right, but you want to hear somebody else justify your opinion. Sister McLean's with me. I saw that hand come up. I know what the Bible says, but if I can ask somebody else that believes what I want to believe, then that'll justify my opinion of it. Just quit asking people. You're trying to put together broken pieces that were meant to fall apart. Listen, let's take it off the table today. There is no other way to God. You've got to come through repentance, through baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Get it off the table. It'll fall apart. You know how many people in this room today could testify that they lived a lifetime with broken pieces trying to put them back together. They get up every morning and roll that puzzle back together and light it. 
get up every morning and grab that fifth of whiskey and try to put the pieces back together. But when the drunk failed and the buzz was over, they realized they'd put something back together that was meant to fall apart. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost up in here right now. Something is changing in this room right now. I believe God is softening the heart of somebody right now. I felt, I just felt it change. While I've been up here preaching to you this morning, some of you have been seeing the things that God let me see yesterday. And you've been seeing the things that you've been trying to put together. I'm going to tell you something right now. If you don't quit putting that career before God, you'll lose that career. And if your career is all you want, you can keep the career, but you won't have God. And you're building your life on something that was meant to fall apart. We're fixing to shift into a different direction right here. Getting ready to open up the altars. And I know what protocol is right now. is for pastor to slow down, kind of crescendo, get your faith high, slow down. The music walks up here real quietly and starts to play. That's not where I'm going right now. I'm asking God to send angels into this room this morning. To begin to walk up and down the aisles of this church right now. And here's what I want you to understand. If you say no to this today, you're not saying no to pastor. You're saying no to the Holy Ghost. Oh, pastor, you don't even have a Bible for that. That's not, that's not even right. Oh, it's absolutely right in the book of Acts chapter 5. They came before the apostle. He said, tell me about this piece of property you got. They said, oh, that's not how much we sold it for. And he looked at me and said, you just lied to the Holy Ghost. Why didn't he say you lied to me? Because God didn't send me here today to preach this for my benefit. The Holy Ghost has sent me here today to preach this for your benefit. We cannot coddle the things of this world. And expect to be set free in the house of the Lord on this Sunday morning. Pastor, why would you come down so hard on this stuff this morning? Because some of us are feeding life and giving life to things that have been trying to fall apart forever. And it's time this morning for us to just let it fall apart and grab hold of the glory of God. I'm closing with this. This God... That the Philistines loved so much. His name was Dagon. This God that they loved so much was a hybrid God. It's an idol. But as you can see in the image, the bottom of Dagon was a fish. And the top part of him was a man. He was a hybrid God. In other words, indecisive. He was the God of the Philistines and believed to be the father of Baal. Isn't that foolishness? An indecisive God. They couldn't decide whether they wanted him to be beast or man. Because that's exactly the way the world wants God to be. Just an in-between God. Part, part holy, part unholy. Just like some things he accepts and some things he doesn't. Someone was asking the other day about whether or not the Philistines are modern Palestine. There's absolutely no connection. The Philistines came from, from the, the, the Greek. They were a Greek people that came. And they, their, their name, the Philistine, it comes from a Semitic word, an ancient word that means invasion or invaders. The Philistines were invaders. They came in and tried to invade places that did not belong to them and built their own indecisive God. And when the glory of God was set in the presence of that God, he broke it in half and said, what cannot decide what it wants to be will never be whole in my presence. See, some of you just miss what I preached. You cannot be indecisive and be healed and be whole in the presence of God. 
You're building on hopes that were meant to fall apart. But the Holy Ghost sent this preacher on Sunday morning with a word in my spirit to tell you today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable time. It's time to believe that God can do this. These altars are opening right now. And I want to tell you that some of you in this house, before you even make your way to the altar, you've been standing there today counting the cost of what you have to lose if you give in to what God's been speaking to your heart. You've been counting everything today that you've got to lose, but the the enemy doesn't want you to see what you've got to gain. So today I want you, if you feel led by the Holy Ghost, You've been trying to put things together that were meant to fall apart. We're going to stand to our feet if you're capable of doing that physically today. If you're not, I completely understand and I won't think you're rebellious and I'm not going to call you out. But if you can today, I want you to stand. Mm. There is a sweet spirit of the Lord in this room right now. Somebody needs to lean on the arm of mercy of God today. You're trying to put pieces back together that were meant to fall apart. And it's never going to be successful trying to pursue the glory of God and the glory of men. Do you know the reason you're here this morning is because the Holy Ghost came looking for you? Holy Ghost came looking for you today. The scripture tells us of a parable that Jesus taught. When he said there were two men that built houses. One of those men built his house on the rock. The other man built his house on the sand. They were both beautiful houses until the storm came. But when the storm came, the man that built his house on the sand would never be able to put it back together because it was made to fall apart. Only the man that built his house, oh God, that built his house on the rock was able to stand when the storms came. You're wondering why this storm is about to sink you. It's because you're putting pieces back together that were meant to fall apart. You've got to get on the rock this morning. Oh, God, church, hear me. I didn't just come to preach this morning. I'm reaching for somebody today that'll give in to the heart of God. He sent me here to reach for you today. God only knows what the path looks like that brought you here this morning. God only knows what you've been through in the last several weeks and several months. God only knows what it took to get you here. But don't leave this place and go putting things back together that God said, I don't want them together.